stories, spirituality, pathways, and aliens. You're here on The Long Road Home. Hey, Chad. Hey, Emily. How much does a Satanist wait? How much? Wait, I did it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, wait, no, I got it. Okay, but I could have done it anyway. Oh, yeah. Hey, Chad. Hey, Emily. How much does a Satanist soul weigh? How much? A pentagram. Oh, my God. (laughs) Hey, Chad. Hey, Emily. Did you hear about this dyslexic Satanist? No, what about him? He sold his soul to Santa. (laughs) (laughs) God. Um, These are killing me physically. Yeah, did you hear about the other dyslexic Satanists? No, what about them? They play their vinyl records forward. Amazing. <laughs> Keep them coming. Okay. Um, what did the dyslexic Satanist name his boat? There's a lot about Satanists with dyslexia. Oh, yeah, it's I guess. Convenient. A, it's a, it's an easy, he, easy target. Name, what did he name his boat? What? Sail Hayton. Okay. You know, did you know I used to be a Satanist? No, I didn't. Yeah, I don't know what possessed me. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Welcome. To the Long Road Home. Oh, I'm Emily. And I'm Chad, if you didn't get that by now. We hope everyone out there is having a wonderful week. I hope you enjoyed our jokes to start off the show. Guys, we got a great episode for you today. We do. Yeah, but, uh, you know, it's been a busy week for us. We We had our first meeting in months, apparently. We didn't realize it's been that long. Uh, time's really zipping through the void at a speed we just can't really comprehend anymore. A, a year ago, I was getting ready for my 30th birthday, collecting cans, ammo, toilet paper, the works, baby. Looks like I'll be spending this year in almost the same fashion, alone in one of my two rooms, wondering how exactly I can spend another 30 years on this hellscape. Guys, it's, it hasn't been all that bad, though, really. It's, it's quarantine. It's been a year, though. It's crazy, but it Wild. really it is. It hasn't been all that bad, though. I, honestly, I've gotten in maybe the best shape of my life. I've learned how to cook different stuff that I didn't know how to cook before. I've lost weight, and I've gained a very dark sense of foreboding that I just didn't have before. It was a little dark. It was a little dark, but boy... No, it's it, like fully shaded in. Yeah, it is, yeah. like with a, a heavy marker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, exactly. But <laughs> we, we do hope that it's it's been a long year, and we hope that this year has treated uh, some of you as kindly as it's treated us in some ways. Some ways. Yeah. Yeah, I've actually, I picked up some hobbies, you know? I feel like I there's a lot more self-care than there's there used to be. a lot more self-care. Mm-hmm. It's a real uh, balancing act these days yeah. between taking too many baths or staring at th- <laughs> staring for too long into the darkness. I've just decided you can't take too many baths. No, you, you can't shouldn't. take too many baths where you like close the door and you're just in the room for hours at Isolate a time. It. Isolate it. No, you can't. You can't, you can't take enough. too many baths. Nope. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Sell it. Ah, let's do it. I'd wear it. I'd wear the heck out of that shirt. Absolutely. Going to remember that one right in my notebook. (laughs) Um, Well, (laughs) speaking of this year, this episode carries pretty much the exact same energy as the type of shit that's been going on the past year. Nay, for years. Yeah. Uh, maybe for as long as humanity's existed. I, very well, could have been, <laughs> honestly. Uh, t- today, we're talking about a movement so strong in the United States that it helped shape the foundation of religion in America, specifically the boom in conservative fundamentalist Christianity that's still infecting this country today. It wasn't real, but they sure thought it was. It's the sensation that swept the nation. This is part one of the satanic panic of the 1970s and 80s and 90s, and maybe even now. And the todays. And the todays. <laughs> yeah. So before we dive in, uh, let's list our sources. 
we got information from where else but Wikipedia. Trusty, really, oh reliable. Yeah, it's, it's I, honestly teachers said never use it, but honestly, it's more reliable than most people that I know today. So thank you, Wikipedia. Uh, the Capital Daily, which is a investigative news organization out of British Columbia, really great article from there. Yay, uh, something from the National Post dot com. People. .vcu.edu and therevealer.org. Also, uh, really, I really pulled heavily from a Vox.com article that was super informative about just sort of the history leading up to what we're going to be talking about in part two. So, Emily, why don't you go ahead and start us off? So, let's rewind time a little bit. Let's hop back in the time machine and head to the end of an era. In the summer of 1969. I'm sorry, I gotta go. Was the summer of 69? Yeah! <laughs> a man by the name of Charles Manson directed several murders from his base in Spawn Ranch, by then a well known cult in the area. Offering prosperity, love, and community, people who made their way there were manipulated by Manson in ways not seen before in the U.S. The murders committed by the Manson clan was some of the first national exposure to groups of this kind. People living across the U.S. got their first taste of what a cult can do, and it planted the thought of ritual killings in the brains of every American. In the same year, Anton LaVey wrote his seminal book, The Satanic Bible. LaVey would go on to create the foundation for modern-day Satanism and the Church of Satan, not to be confused with the Satanic Church. Yeah, the Church of Satan and the Satanic Church are two very different groups of people who do not like each other very much. The Satanic Church physically, literally worships Satan, and the Church of Satan is more of the yeah. Church of Satan is more of like a protest group against these big uh, Christian right-wing groups that are complaining about things like the Ten Commandments getting ripped out of the in front of the state houses and stuff. So it's more like a um, political protest group then. Yes, than thank a you. religious group. Yeah, that's it really is what they're doing is definitely more in that vein of thinking. Uh, so things are already taking a pretty metal turn in a country that just saw some brutal imagery associated with this type of stuff, at least in their minds. I don't know how many of our listeners know what's going on at the Church of Satan, but I can tell you it's 100% a group of either small, fat men, or tall, lanky men, and they're all doing the same thing, drinking oat milk lattes and comparing The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings series. These people are literally just here to bust everyone's chops, those little contrarians. That's literally what most of these people are. There's very few... Satanists that are actually like fully like hell Satan <laughs> praise be to the god of death yeah, no these are just my shoulder. yeah they're literally just fucking contrarians they just want to uh, cause a little trouble and that's pretty much all they do anyways the years go by and some other things happen in 1971 the novel The Exorcist is released and two years later it receives its film adaptation during this time, a man by the name of Mike Warnke published a book called Satan Seller. So let me start off by saying this book is complete and utter bullshit. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's a fucking, it's a fucking total, like, uh, just made up fantasy tale that this, this man invented in his own brain. Mike Warnke was nothing more than a child with a sad upbringing, looking to garner attention for himself in the evangelical community. Mike Warnke definitely is a giant piece of shit, and I, I really think that he helped drive evangelical Christianity down a really, really toxic path. But, I mean, ultimately, I think he got what he wanted. He just wanted their attention, and, that, I mean, he did it. Absolutely. 
In this book, Warnke describes his participation in sexual orgies, alcoholism, and drug dealing, his rise in the ranks of Satanism to the level of high priest, presiding over Satanic rituals, including magical spells, summoning demons, ritual sex, including a kidnap and rape, the attempt on his life, a heroin overdose that left him angry and disillusioned, his heroism in Vietnam, and how he found Jesus and came home as an evangelist. The story ends with Warnke living happily in California with wife Sue Stutter. Wouldn't you know it, a group of people prone to eating up bullshit bought in, and in fewer than three months after the release, the book had become a religious bestseller. This dude sprang up through the ranks of religious folk overnight. He became a popular speaker at Christian meeting places such as Melody Land in Anaheim, California. Just a sea of tan suits and black eyes on women. Oh no! Oh my god. <laughs> That's all it was. Melody Land. Oh, Melody Land. Come on down. In 1974, Warnke moved his family to attend Trinity Bible College in Tulsa, Oklahoma, as a nine month preparation for ministry. It was here, while among other charismatic Christians and recent converts preparing for a life of ministry, that Warnkin met Carolyn Alberti, and the two began an extramarital affair, like two good Christians. <laughs> Yeah, starting off on the, you know, just the right foot at the Bible college. <laughs> I do, I'm curious. So That's what repression does to you, man. I'm like, what it did, makes what, you horny as hell. Well, yeah, it does. <laughs> but what did an extramarital affair look like at the Bible college? I just remember like uh, at Liberty University, one, a guy that I used to know said that him and the, his track buddies would go to Liberty and hold hands because they weren't allowed to at Liberty. But there was just like two dudes holding hands and it really freaked everyone out. I'm assuming, considering what happens next, that there was sexual relations involved in oh, this affair. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, I just think, you know, he ends up, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll continue. Warnke also met Elijah Cody, an independent schismatic bishop of the Syro-Chaldean Church, also known as the Assyrian Church of the East. It's pretty intense. Yeah, not great. Uh, Cody ordained Warnke as a deacon. Upon graduation, Warnke was again ordained, and he moved with his family to Denver, Colorado. Where else but Denver? No comment. <laughs> Denver's a weird place. It's like very polarized viewpoints. Definitely. It it touts itself as one thing, but then but struts not, around as yeah, another. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It didn't end there, though. In 1975, at an Indiana coffee house, Warnke's talk about his conversion from Satanism to Christianity was incidentally recorded in what I can only assume is the only coffee house in Indiana at the time. This recording became his first album, Alive, which was soon widely played on Christian radio. Later that same year, despite interventions from pastors and other acclaimed ministers, Warnke left his wife for Alberti and filed for divorce. The divorce was finalized in December 1975, and four months later, Warnke married Alberti. Four months, huh? Yeah, it really didn't take... Just, uh, this guy was on the move, though. That bed was still warm. He was, I mean, honestly, and you're going to see this again and again throughout the story, that these people are just the biggest grifters. And this dude was grifting hard. I mean, he went from... Grifting through he, the Christian he church. He created, and it's weird because you see that all the time in these... Uh, honestly, it's... And I guess it's maybe it's because it's the United States. The, yeah. the uh, Christian communities, these people come in and just play them like fiddles because Absolutely. a lot of them will just... They will believe the things that they want to believe, right? And so these people come in with these stories and they just... They suck them up. And this dude went from writing a completely bullshit book to recording live albums 
and it's Gosh, ridiculous. It's so interesting. Well, if you think about it, and if you think about like, um, like the the restrictions within the Christian community, and like. Um, how children are sheltered from a young age because you're supposed to be watching like non-secular yeah. things and you're supposed to be listening to non-secular things. And, and and so then you have this guy that comes into the church and is telling a story that fits into your narrative but is like is like the same but is like an equivalent to reality television. Yeah. You're going to eat that shit up because you've never had anything this entertaining before. It was, I bet it was entertaining. You know? <laughs> it was. It was like a little secular. He's like, oh, he divorced his other wife, but he's okay. He's, Wait, he's you get renounced. to hear the sexual, secular stories, but he's he's, renou- he's renounced Satan. Yes. Or denounced. He's denounced Satan, and now he lives the Christian life, so you get to like hear the ooh, dirty stuff, but you feel okay because now he's converting people to Christianity. I should go ahead and stop us right here and just say, look, if you are a hardcore Christian, you might want to turn this off because and just go listen to like Ben Shapiro or something. <laughs> this is not a good episode for you or any of you guys. <laughs> this is not good for the religious right in this country because the stuff that they just they just slobbered over during this time period is it's kind of crazy to me. Definitely, and not too dissimilar from things that it's we're seeing not, people slobbering really over not. today. So, <sighs> anyway. The divorce was finalized in 1975. Four months later, they got married. Warren Key continued to gain popularity because it didn't matter that he cheated. Women don't matter in the church. Take notes, ladies. Oh, that hurts. That made me almost throw up. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Sad but true. Oh, he started appearing on the covers of popular Christian magazines. What the fuck do those look like? What are uh, popular it's, it's like, Christian I don't magazines? Know. It's just two pages stuck together with all the gum people are sticking to the bottom of the church pews. Believe me, Dude, I, there was a lot of it. You and I both grew up in the church. Um, did you ever see a Christian I magazine? I don't know. They always had those weird little pamphlets in the back pamphlets of the pews. Pamphlets are different. But pamphlets are different. I think this is like a cover. He was on the cover of magazine. He was there, yeah. He was like on fucking Skymall, for, but for Christians. <laughs> yeah. Um... At some point in his career, he did a nice big pivot and headed into the realm of Christian comedy. Because where else do you go? Once you started recording the albums, people want to laugh. They want to love. They want to laugh. They want to dance like no one's watching. Dude, we don't need Christian comedy. Come you're not on. making, in the words of Hank Hill, you're not making Christianity better. You're just making comedy worse. Yep, exactly. Uh, during a tour for one of those albums, he met the thrice-divorced Rose Hall. And I think we all know Warnke enough to know what happened next. Yes, it's pretty one-dimensional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he started cheating on his second wife, Carolyn, with the new, um, with the shiny new Rose Hall. Shiny and just, <laughs> I don't know if shiny is the word Shiny for <laughs> to him. Shiny to him. You know what I mean. Ladies know what I mean. Uh-huh. That marriage ended uh, when he decided to throw his second wife against a wall, splitting her head open. She recalled later in an interview that he said, quote, if you go to a local hospital and tell them what your name is, I'll kill you. 
It's uh, super it's fucking awful. This dude was a he was a bad, bad person. person. He really was a terrible person. And by the time this has happened, he was like it starts to you start to see him make more extravagant claims as well as he continues down this path that he's created. He starts to talk about like his Vietnam story becomes like he got wounded and he did get a purple heart, but then his story goes to like he was wounded twice and then he was wounded oh. five times. And so his his lies start to get bigger and bigger as well and he just slowly starts to like I don't know if lose or unravel himself or his mind is the right wording for it, but he really starts to go like off the fucking rails. But man, for a minute, he was really selling Satanism to these people, huh? He, yeah, we're going to come and find out. He never stopped. Oh, great. Okay. So this guy did a bunch more shit that we're not going to mention because honestly, he doesn't deserve any more valid, like, you know. Attention. Attention. Yeah, exactly. Uh by the 90s, he was making a bunch of really bullshit claims about his life, and eventually uh, a magazine called Cornerstone debunked him. So they started digging around and fairly quickly found out this guy had 100% played the people like that badass golden fiddle the devil has. Their investigation spanned from interviews with over 100 of Warnke's personal friends and acquaintances all the way down to his ministry's tax receipts. I can't believe this but it revealed a number of inaccuracies and evidence of fraud and deceit in Warnke's accounts. What? No way. They, you mean <laughs> this mega liar was also cooking his books? He was just making a mess. And, crazy. Uh, it's, it is crazy. We didn't really put it in here, but the, he, uh, by this time, he, this guy does have his own ministry. He is collecting people's money through his own ministry now. So he has cool, reached cool. the upper echelons of uh, the Grams just sucking people's money in. Yeah. But but they also discovered pictures of Warnke taken during the time he was alleged to be a Satanist priest, and instead of showing an emaciated drug addict like he claimed, all they showed was a lame-ass, suit-wearing square of the mid-1960s. So he, yeah, you can't take pictures of yourself. <laughs> then, <laughs> if you're going to lie about your identity, you at least got to get yeah, rid of the pictures must. proving... Otherwise. You could just do that back then, though. You, if you could get rid of your pictures, you could be whoever you wanted to be. That's what I'm saying. That's all he had to do. And he didn't do that much. Slacker. He's a bad liar. Well, a movie? Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, the investigation also revealed Warnke's claims that he and Charles Manson had attended a satanic ritual to be false, which I think is hilarious. He his dude was just making <laughs> shit up. Manson was in federal prison at this time, having no ties to say. And also, of course, he had no ties to satanic churches, no association whatsoever. This dude completely made it up. And once again, it's just no one was fact checking this guy at all. They just were like, this man's telling the truth. <laughs> they were just in like one lo- giant long. Uh, improv session where they also still believed everything that they that he yeah. said. They just kept going, yes, and? <laughs> yeah. Yes, and? All right, so uh, me and Charles Manson, we were at this satanic cult. Yes, and? And uh, we watched him uh, chop up a baby. <gasps> yes, and? It's just like forever and ever. <laughs> well, the investigation further uncovered that before joining the Navy, which he that's the military branch he was in, Warnke had been involved with the College Christian Ministry Campus Crusade for Christ. Oh. Yeah, they don't mention that. He was a part of crew? Yeah, they don't mention that uh, orientation week. No. So finally, the investigation also revealed the unflattering circumstances surrounding Warnke's multiple marriages, affairs, and divorces. And this is something that confused me because I don't know. How did no one know what was going on? It seemed like a couple people did, right? I mean, it's pretty hard to privately swap wives. You'd think that. Especially if you have your own ministry. Yeah. I think they're going to notice. But I would assume that they probably didn't know about the overlap. Yeah, exactly. That's probably what we're talking about here. Well, 
Regarding one Christian intervention attempt, the Cornerstone article states, and these are some names we haven't mentioned. They're not super important, but they're just it's part of the sentence. Don Ryling, Mike Johnson, Wes Yoder, and Mike and Carolyn were there. You'd have never guessed this was a meeting of Christians, says Ryland. Mike and Carolyn were swearing the whole time, and they must have gone through a whole pack of cigarettes. Well, that doesn't sound very Christian-like. I don't know. <laughs> I know a lot of people in churches smoke. Uh, yeah, right? Exactly. I know. It was, it was, I know. It was called sarcasm, Chad. No, look it, look no. it up. Uh, yeah, so these people, they, I, I guess it just wasn't. Honestly, it doesn't sound like they were hiding what they were doing like that very well. much. It, and no one seemed to really care, at least for a time, until this magazine got well, involved. If you only seen this guy, you know, every Sunday, that's a whole six other days for him to be messing yeah, around. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and you finally go to his house for dinner. You're like, hmm, you're something, like, oh. something seems a little wrong here. That's a whole, They just d- haven't quit smoking cigarettes Maybe the whole time. we should have invited, invited him over to dinner sooner, a year ago. Yeah. So, in the end, this guy got exposed, but he really played these people hard, like I said. At the end of the day, he wrote a small blurb to Cornerstone about their expose, saying, quote, I stand by my testimony of being delivered and set free by the power of Jesus Christ after being a satanic high priest, exactly as published in my book, The Satan Seller. Good plug. Some yeah, information nice plug. was purposefully changed to protect the privacy of certain individuals and to prevent readers from using the book as a guide for occultism and satanic purposes. Oh. But as we stated in the front of the book, the events are absolutely as described. So he mm. doubled down. He doubled down. He doubled down. What else do you, what else do, you do when said, you're back to your corner? You double down. That's not me in that khaki pants suit. No, not at all. It's not a, me. That's another man. And so this is, this is the 90s now. This has been going for decades. And in the spring of 1993, Warnke, t- things start to not necessarily crumble, but he, he did submit to the authority of an assembly of ministers, quote, acting as elders, which is a fucking stupid term to me, acknowledging his, quote, ungodliness, his, quote, multiple divorces, quote, his failure as a husband, father, and friend, and, quote, embellishment and exaggeration in an attempt to entertain, and <gasps> offering to pay back taxes to the federal government. So... Called back to when I said it was all entertainment. Exactly. The group recommended specific changes to the ministry, including a salary cap and accountability report. So they they fucking didn't make him stop. They just like changed his rules for him a little bit. They were just like, here's some. Yeah, they smacked him on the wrist. You're bad. Don't do that again. Well, even this small act, it didn't really matter because he stood by his testimony. And this was in 2000. He said, quote, exaggeration did creep into some of my stories, but my testimony is still testimony. And if that doesn't sum up the Fox News watching religious loonies, I don't know what will. They're in it for the kicks. They, a little scare here and there, but their man always comes out on top. That's just what they like. They like that type of shit. It's fucking TLC for these crazy people. So strange. It's disgusting. It's, it's gr- really it's so, gross. So gross to me. And the fact that I don't know, like the wife beating isn't what got him in trouble. <laughs> that also really bothers Jesus me. Jesus um, Christ! Doesn't matter. Seriously, doesn't matter. That should have been the first thing. Absolutely. Apparently, on his website, he's also posted a letter saying that he met the requirements that the group of ministers have asked him. So he got off scot free, I guess. And ultimately, he never really got in trouble, and his influence is still it never really went away. So what did he do? Five hail marys, and he was good to go. Basically, I mean, uh, that's Catholicism. This, I know, but whatever. You know what I'm saying? Come see, come Do anything you want. This piece of shit had a heart attack in 1993 that should have ended this, but he lived, and so he kept going. Oh, darn and apparently, it. to even today, this guy still shows up he's in still some churches. Alive? Spouting this bullshit. Yeah, he's alive, and he churches still invite him to come talk. And so people have uh, just, some people still have bought into this guy's rhetoric. Ugh. It's insane. 
It's he literally insane. is just profiting off of making up spooky stories. Yeah. And like, wow. Yeah, exactly. And well, Being but born again. Yeah, exactly. And what he's doing and the reason, like I said, that I've spent so we spent so long talking about this guy is because that's the exact type of person you're going to be seeing all throughout this story. It's just grifter upon grifter upon grifter that emerged from the fear of these, quote, satanic cults, striking fear into a rising fundamentalist group that was just ripe for the taking. And we'll talk about them in a little bit as well. I really think these people could have said anything to them and they would have taken it at face value because honestly, it's all that they they know how to do. They these were the types of people that took the Bible very, very literally. They didn't look into it. The seven-headed beast was a seven-headed beast. This man says he was in Satan's cult. He was in Satan's cult. That's just what they did. And well, they, he's a godly Christian man now. Why exactly, would we doubt him? Exactly, exactly. And they just jumped into the deep end with him. So during this exact same time period, we start to see people like John Todd, Herschel Smith, and David Hansen. Men who, according to the Vox article, and I really do like the way they put this, they, they grew up in Southern California and seemed to rise from the still smoldering ashes of the Manson cult to declare that the world was full of dark occult symbols and far-reaching satanic conspiracies. So this so was... The Manson it, family was Pandora's box of Satanism. It really was in like the end of like the hippie movement, and uh, a lot of dark energy just sort of was expelled in, I should say in, through these people. conspiracies, yeah. Yeah. Exactly, and what's it's weird because uh, the Manson family never had any sort of connection with uh, any sort of satanic cult. Right. They just that's they were the Manson cult. Right. That was the cult. That was the religion. Exactly. So all these men claim to have conversion experiences, thus appealing to fund- the fundamentalist Christian right, ready to hear only what they wanted to believe. Interesting note here, Todd was supported by Christian track maker Jack Chick, who used his fabricated claims as the basis for numerous comic-style pamphlets advocating against Satanism. So <laughs> these things, they're, they're called track, or just tracks, right? And these were called Chick tracks. Old people used to give these to me in my church, and boy, they were great reading. It was like these little fucking two-inch by two-inch little books. There was like four or five pages, and it was just illustrations of people burning in hell <laughs> and shit. And apparently this guy, right. I looked a little bit into him, and he has some very controversial little uh, pamphlets that he's been passing out to churches, talking about Catholicism, Jewish people, etc. <gasps> and so he's uh, he's latched on to a lot of different stuff. Uh-huh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Th- you know, that's really what we should just be putting right in the hands of our kids, huh? But they were. They were I remember getting these when I was little in the, the churches that I grew up in. They were just sitting around. That's not traumatic at all. My grandparents had a bunch of them. I, they might be collectible. They might be collectible. <laughs> <laughs> they might be collectible. Did your grandparents make us a fortune? Yeah, that'd be hey, sweet. Hey, Mama, would you like to leave? Uh, leave. Stuff? Yeah, I'll take all your uh, your Chick-tracks. scary children's books. Oh man! During this time, we also see the rise of another ominous being: the serial killer. Seventies was ripe with them, right? Yeah. Ted man. Bundy, son of Sam, aka David Berkowitz, John Wayne Gacy, the killer clown, and many others all begin operating during this time period. Many of the killers were not only murdering people, but they were bragging about it to the news. Letters were being sent to news and police stations. Some even called in to mock the people pursuing them. The killers felt larger than life and were literally begging the police to try and catch them. Evil, evil, dark time in America. It's it's weird to me about how it... it, Because this stuff did. It it aligned. And this kind of attitude of the serial killer really got stuck into the minds of Americans and also compounded the growth of the problem we're already beginning to see. And you can kind of see where this is going, right? Well, you have to think about like the 50s and how picturesque they were. And the 60s is when like we start to like 
shake up as a society and yeah. people realize that things like aren't picture perfect and they're not going to be. And then I feel like the seventies just like really cemented that it fear did. in the, the curtain dropped. Yeah, it exactly. Did. It was like the sixties. I feel like people were like, mm, maybe we can still get back. Yeah. <laughs> and then the seventies we were like, no. Um, it really, it, though, there was so much going on during this time period. That it just lined up in a weird way. It's really crazy to take it all together and see how it unfolded. So let's talk about this really shitty religious movement that started to grow during this time period. During the late 70s, we start to see people like fundamentalist preacher Jerry Falwell and his moral majority, fucking terrible person. Uh, they started to gain prominence across the country, and they were passing along a literal fire and brimstone style of Christianity. These people were convinced. I mean, they were the fundamentalists. Like I said, they read the Bible. There is a literal burning hole in the ground, and you will go to it if you don't adhere to this exact thing that we believe. I like to call it the classics. The classics. <laughs> Um, we also start to see anti-occult crusaders like Pat Pulling, who believed her son committed suicide because of an evil Dungeons and Dragons curse. Uh, she crusaded against role-playing games as dangerous and demonic, and all these claims were backed by a cult fear-mongering from Chick and his Chick tracks, like we mentioned earlier. Now, all these things may have not formed into some evil, malevolent force on their own, not even fuckers like Jerry Falwell. These things may have came and went if it weren't for the emerging powerhouse that was news media that was covering each and every one of these topics simultaneously. By the end of the 70s, TVs were becoming a necessity, and more and more households had one in their living rooms. The news was more accessible than ever, but with competition growing, these stations had to get more eyes on their content. And you know what doesn't sell? The fact that everything may actually be okay. TVs were literally shitting fear and scary stories into the brains of new helicopter parents all across the country, leading to a huge influx of conservative beliefs in what they believe is morality, i.e. anything different than what they believe, or what the Bible says is bad. It's crazy to me that at such a sensitive time, all this stuff just so happened to be available to us in droves. And it's like you said, it's like we entered the darkest timeline 40 years ago and we didn't even know it. All right, so remember those grifters we mentioned a little while ago? We see even more of the same as the years go on. We see Geraldo Rivera's 1998 documentary, Devil Worship, Exposing Satan's Underground, which became the highest-rated televised documentary to air up to that point. We see Rose Wilson, whose allegations of satanic ritual abuse were published under the pseudonym Lauren Stratford, which she would later adopt as her legal name. Later, after being discovered as a fraud by the investigative powerhouse Cornerstone, Wilson assumed the guise of a Holocaust survivor and adopted the alias of Laura Grabowski after her book deal was pulled. Cornerstone coming through again. Yeah, these guys man. were all about trying to figure out which one of these people were like complete liars. They were they did working, it a times. man. Yeah, they did. So, I mean, kudos to them. They seem like the only ones trying to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A 1991-2020 episode famously televised an official Roman Catholic exorcism. I'm sorry. I'm going to say that again. A 1991-2020 episode famously televised an official Roman Catholic exorcism. Yeah, just put it out there. Weird. Yeah, people were like, I mean, it's just people were into it. <laughs> yeah. And the evangelical documentaries like Hell's Bells attempted to tie rock music to the occult, while Christian fantasy, like that of best-selling author Frank Peretti, transformed real-world social issues into matters of angelic and demonic warfare. I'd say I know more about Christian fantasy novels, but currently you all are not paying us enough to take any amount of time to look into that genre. Not even close. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Maybe later. Sorry, not sorry. We're not looking into that today. 
there is one last grift we do want to take a deep dive into, though, and that's a book called Michelle Remembers. Written in 1980, Michelle Remembers is a book that shaped the form of what would come to be known as SRA, Satanic Ritual Abuse. It was co-written by a Canadian psychiatrist named Lawrence Padzer, and soon to be his wife, his psychiatric patient, Michelle Smith. So, a quote-unquote legitimate psychiatric doctor and the crazy woman he's slowly falling in love with wrote a book together. You know this is going to be good. It's great. I mean, it's a great piece of uh, fantasy fiction, whatever you want to call it, but guess what? Some people didn't think it was fake. Yeah, that's not where the public took it. So Absolutely not. Most of our knowledge about this book comes from its Wikipedia page. The book chronicles Pazder's therapy during the late 1970s with his longtime patient, Michelle Smith. In 1976, when Pazder was treating Smith for depression, uh, related to her having a miscarriage, Smith confided she felt that she had something important to tell him, but she couldn't remember what it was. Soon thereafter, Pazder and Smith had a session where Smith purportedly screamed for 25 minutes nonstop and eventually started speaking in the voice of a five-year-old. Honestly, that's pretty creepy. That's really creepy. Ah! Ah! 25 minutes. 25 minutes of that. Couldn't pay me enough. And then she's like... (laughs) Just listen to someone scream for that long. Hello, doctor. I just don't know what's wrong. No. Like, ma'am, you need to leave. That's... Oh, our session's over. Instead, he said... I don't know what it is about you. He said, tell me more. (laughs) Um, According to Pazder, during the next 14 months, he spent more than 600 hours using hypnosis to help Smith recover seeming memories of what they call satanic ritual abuse that occurred when she was five years old in 1954 and 1955 at the hands of her mother, Virginia Proby, and others, all of whom Smith said were members of a satanic cult in Victoria, British Columbia. The book documents Smith's memory of events recorded during therapy, documenting the many satanic rituals she believed she was forced to attend. Apparently, Pazder states that Smith was abused by the Church of Satan, which he states is a worldwide organization predating the Christian church, which I love. (laughs) Yeah, he just fucking just made that up. He just absolutely made it up. This dude just admitted Satan came before the Holy Trinity, baby. That's metal as hell. Pretty rad. <laughs> I don't know why he said that. I really don't know. Like, I guess it's just like a tagline. You know, you can, you could just say anything back then, and people had to believe you because there wasn't enough resources or technology to let you know any different. It's kind of scary. People always talking about how much better it was, but and dude, also, you just had to take you, people at face value. How did value. you get that history lesson from this session? That's what I'd like to know. Okay, yeah, so they spent 14 months, right? He spent 14 months interviewing this woman who apparently suffered at the hands of these Satanists when she was a child. How did she know the history of the Church of Satan? You know what I'm saying? You know know what I'm saying? How did he get there? That's a big leap. She's an old soul. Or a big leap. Yeah. a big leap. The first alleged ritual attended by Smith occurred in 1954 when she was five years old. And the final one documented by the book was an 81-day ritual in 19... I'm sorry was an 81-day ritual in 1955 that supposedly summoned Satan himself and involved the intervention of Jesus, the Virgin Mary, and Michael, the archangel, who removed the scars received by Smith throughout the year of abuse and blocked memories of the events until the time was right. Yeah, it's uh, it's super convenient. Wow, that's a very involved story. Yeah, with a great uh, alibi. Very convenient ending. An angel healed my wounds and said, You'll forget this until you need it. Mm-hmm. Over months of imprisonment, she is forced to drink urine, eat cannibalized flesh, 
bathe in the blood of dismembered babies, participate in ritual murders, and endure a cage filled with snakes and spiders. In the climax, Smith encounters Satan himself in a feast of the beast, wow. organized by her oppressors. <laughs> that was a good wow! <laughs> but is ultimately saved by the direct intervention of Virgin Mary. During the rites, Smith was allegedly tortured, locked in cages, sexually assaulted, forced to participate in various rituals, witnessed several human sacrifices, and was rubbed with the blood and body parts of various sacrificed infants and adults. Other parts of the book describe a teenage girl and an adult woman being murdered, as well as at least six stillborn babies being dismembered in rituals. Gotta have six, at least. That's what the recipe calls for. Yeah, this is the specificity. <laughs> it's very specific, the the stuff that she's saying. Very interesting. But, yeah, it's it's all just sort of like, I don't know, we're going to find out later that this isn't unusual, actually. No. No, it's not. Yeah. She described rituals performed at night at the city's historic Ross Bay Cemetery, being placed in an open grave while a crying cat mewled and a woman dressed in a dark robe chanted above her. She remembered a bizarre ritual of rebirth in a nearby mausoleum, her tormentors hissing and dancing like cats while one of them licked her. <laughs> you should be reborn! <laughs> <laughs> This is all just going on in Victoria, British Columbia, one of like the major cities in that province. Uh, just like, <laughs> it's no one's noticing. No, only Michelle. Only her. Each session with Padzer built on the horror of the one before, eventually becoming so nightmarish that the therapist brought in priests to offer blessings and benedictions to protect Smith from the evil of her own memory. After Smith had seemingly recovered her memories, she and Patzer consulted with various church authorities, eventually traveling to the Vatican to retell her story. The fucking Vatican. <laughs> she made it. They're the top now, baby. The stories themselves would have probably been seen as crazy if not for the fact that these tales were being documented by Padzer. Padzer was a difficult man to dismiss. He was a respected psychologist with impeccable credentials. Degrees from the Universities of Alberta School of Medicine, the University of Liverpool, and McGill, in addition to being a fellow of the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons, and a staff member at local hospitals. Pazder was also deeply religious, as you could probably guess, and it was likely no coincidence that Smith's recollections came to starkly confirm his own faith. He, like so many others, began hearing what he wanted to hear. The book took on a life of its own in this way, providing Pazder a way to somehow share his faith with the confirmation bias he was receiving from his patient under hypnosis. Yeah, this guy was, I mean, legitimately, he was a psychiatrist. I, I, we said so-called or quote-unquote psychiatrist. Yeah, you're right. But he, he really was. But uh, I just don't know about uh, deeply religious psychiatrists, psychologists. I don't know if that's a uh, should be a thing. I yeah, I think there should be a, a separation of church and mental me medical health, facilities, mental yeah. trauma, because um, they're often associated. And I don't know though. This guy really—he reminds me of, like the flat, the guy that blew himself up in the rocket. He oh, was no. really smart. He made—he was making rockets. He was like an auto engineer. He knew what he was doing, but he didn't think the Earth was round, so he was shooting himself up into space with rockets, and he killed himself because of it. He reminds me of that guy. Two very different fields. <laughs> very different fields. Very different results, but interesting comparison nonetheless. So, as you can probably guess, this book shot off the shelves once people got wind of it. If you haven't noticed yet, we're starting to see a very detectable pattern here. Yeah, people of faith, Etsu, they eat this shit up. That's what we used to say in football, Etsu. It is? That's yeah. a thing? 
That's I've what never our football team said. Before. We weren't good. We weren't good. Uh, it's okay. You shouldn't it's have said that. Heads. You shouldn't have said that because I totally thought that you just made it up. I was like, nice one, babe. Oh, okay. That's fine. So that was yours then, huh? That's just your joke. That's my joke. Okay. That absolutely is. No one else is mine. Well, they believe it. Every word, without question, <laughs> except Cornerstone, apparently, but they don't seem to appear in this book's story. Yeah, never came after him because he was in Canada, I bet. Oh, yeah, just a little, just a little They're too far journalism outside of the stops at the border. Circle, yeah. Um, it became a success among the evangelical community quickly, but was not without a gigantic heap of skepticism by anyone with critical thinking skills. The book states that its source materials therapy tapes were scrutinized however the accuracy of the allegations in michelle remembers was questioned soon after the book was published after the book's publication pazder withdrew his assertion that it was the church of satan that had abused smith when anton levey who founded the church years after the alleged events of michelle remembers threatened to sue for libel yeah very quickly small parts of the story he begins to uh take back yeah yeah Mm -hmm. In an October 27, 1980 article in the magazine McLean's, Paul Gresco interviewed Smith's father, Jack Proby, who denied the allegations against Smith's mother, Virginia, who died in 1964, and claimed he could refute all the allegations in the book. Gresco also noted that the book failed to make any mention of Smith's two sisters, Cheryl and Tertia, or that Pazder and Smith, both Catholics, had divorced their spouses and married each other, which, if you're a Catholic, is a big no. Not great. Not a good look for them, anyway. We'll talk about that a little more in a second. The book also fails to mention any police investigations or any attempt Pastor made to involve the police in verifying any of the book's accusations. Which, if you had found out that somebody had been through, uh, what, two years of ritual abuse? Wouldn't that be your first your first instinct? Honestly, I would. You'd think that would be if they go, were witnessing yeah. murders and shit. I feel like at some point as a psychiatrist, you start you break your code or whatever. Yeah, and you come out and you say, "Hey guys, there was maybe some fucking bad stuff happened over here. Maybe you should check it out." Absolutely. I mean, that's like when I you think, sign when know. you sign to go to see a therapist. You got to be like, if I'm gonna harm myself or it, you, there's a thing that you sign that's if I say I'm gonna harm myself or others, you have the right to intervene. So well, like, he, but he was just like he fascinating. Was like, yeah. <laughs> God, I love this woman. Tell me more. This is going to make such a good book. The authors of a 1995 book found no newspaper record of the car crash that the book describes in the time frame described despite the fact that the local newspaper reported on all vehicle accidents at the time. Former neighbors, teachers, and friends were interviewed and yearbooks from Smith's elementary school were reviewed and found no indication of Smith being absent from school or missing for lengthy periods of time including an alleged 81-day nonstop ceremony. Yeah, it turns out maybe she was she was still in school, just hanging out, doing normal kid stuff at the time. Uh, just doesn't seem like it ever happened. I don't know if Dude, it did. I'm just I'm saying. On the, I'm, I'm off the fence. I think it didn't happen. A three-month-long, like, nonstop ceremony seems impossible to me. Yeah, it's fucking impossible. <laughs> it, it seems is. impossible It's impossible to that me. nobody saw it and nobody said anything about it. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And that's one of the claims that a later investigation was like, wait, no one's eaten. It's amazing to me that no one even brought that up initially. Like, how did no one see you? <laughs> yeah. Where were you? 81 days. Anyway. Ultimately, the book's authors were unable to find anyone who knew Smith during the 1950s who could corroborate any of the details in her allegations. A 2002 article by Kirk Hulane explored what they considered the unlikeliness of Smith's allegations. Among other things, 
they noted that it seemed unlikely that a sophisticated cult that had secretly existed for generations could be outwitted by a five-year-old, that the cult could hold rituals by the Rose Boss Bay Cemetery unnoticed given that Smith claimed that she was screaming and given that the Ross Bay Cemetery is surrounded on three sides by residential neighborhoods. That an 81-day non-stop ceremony involving hundreds of participants and a massive room could have gone on in Victoria unnoticed. And that none of Smith's tormentors, other than her mother, have ever been identified. Especially given that some of them had cut off one of their middle fingers at the Black Mass. Yeah, very detailed story. Very real factual information she was given. Uh, it just fucking made it up, man. And... It all just went to a book, and people started fucking reading it, and they believed it. It's, it. These stories are fucking so silly to me after you like sit down and look at what they were saying and stuff. It's fucking... It's outrageous. Why was anyone believing this stuff? It doesn't make any sense. It hurts my head to think about. Yeah. That's them eating it up. Yeah, I fucking love it, though. The thought of a bunch of goths spending 81 days in the local cemetery, everyone just watching them cut babies apart and shit. It's fucking so stupid. They just need their own place to hang out, okay? You don't understand. Gah! Hand me the next baby to cut up, dude. Hurry! <laughs> he also notes that during the alleged 81-day ritual, Michelle was confirmed to be attending school. <laughs> Just never, this is fucking bullshit never ends. With no remarkable absences and no apparent signs that she was being abused. Colleen also noted that mi- that many of Smith's so-called recovered memories appear to have represented elements of popular culture at the time. And Pastor's own religious beliefs and experiences from when he was living and working in Africa during the early 1960s. He also noted it odd that Pastor didn't report any of the sexual abuse to police that Michelle allegedly had endured. Finally, he hypothesized that Smith's motivation for making the allegations may have come from her desire to spend time with Pastor. Duh. Though both were initially married to other people, they divorced their spouses and remarried each other after the publication of the book. It's fairytale ending. It was bonding. That was, uh, yeah, bonding. Oh, my God. Like the really toxic type where it's like, I'll kill myself if you leave me. Yeah. (laughs) It's so sweet. Or it was more like, tell me more about that abuse that I'm not going to report anywhere. (laughs) James R. Lewis, in the Oxford Handbook of New Religious Movements, wrote that Michelle remembers must be treated with great skepticism, not least because literally all the charges involved seem drawn from accounts of West African secret societies from the 1950s imported to Canada. Nicole Spanos has stated that in addition to the lack of corroboration of Smith's alleged memories, skepticism appears warranted by the fact that some of these, quote, memories involved Michelle's encounters with supernatural beings. Spanos also mentions that Smith's father and unmentioned two siblings deny the allegations made by Smith, as well as Pazder's time in West Africa during a time when there was widespread concern about secret blood-drinking cannibalistic cults. Yeah, and this just, uh, it's, it feels very similar to, like we said earlier, a lot of stuff that happens now. It doesn't matter how many people come out and say, like, this didn't happen. If they're going to believe it, they're already gone. And it doesn't matter if it's just one person or if it's a whole group of people confirming what they believe. They're going to believe that person over uh, the truth. Yeah. Definitely. Mm -hmm. I think it's also important to note here that someone recalling gruesome murder accounts under hypnosis, it's not new. In a great article from Capital Daily, they recall a story about a few of Dr. Sigmund Freud's patients. It's a phenomenon that was observed nearly 100 years before Michelle Smith first met Lawrence Pazder. 
In the late 19th century, the famed Austrian neurologist Sigmund Freud put 18 female patients into hypnosis. The, the women were emotionally troubled, and Freud surmised that through hypnosis, he might be able to extract subconscious memories of sexual abuse and restore their mental health. What he found instead astounded him. Under hypnosis, the women recounted extraordinary tales of not just sexual abuse, but also of cannibalism, even the appearance of the devil himself, the sort of claims that are eerily similar to those recounted by Michelle Smith. At first, Freud was enthusiastic about the discoveries, but as the claims grew more bizarre and implausible, he was forced to admit that they were probably fictional. There's also a subtext to Michelle Remembers that becomes unavoidable once you know the ending of the story. Their marathon therapy sessions spanned hours away from their respective spouses, and the unacknowledged motivation for much of this may have simply been the desire to spend time with one another. In the end, Pazder left his wife and four children. Smith left a deeply embittered husband and patient and therapist wed. They appear to have remained together until his death in 2004 when Pazder passed away from a heart attack at the age of 67. In his obituary, Michelle is described as his wife and soulmate. Uh, they got away with it. It's yeah. insane. Uh, this dude just kept going. I, I, from what I could tell, he never stopped being a psychiatrist either. I'm assuming that's just what he did until he died, which is just fucking cool. scary. Yeah, I don't that like he that. He was treating people. Yeah. Bothers me. This guy was fully invested in this story. For decades. At least, uh, you know, maybe he knew. I don't know. But it really doesn't matter. And what is maybe the most frustrating part of this story, the, the article, the Gresco article, did not garner much attention, and the allegations in Michelle Remembers were still considered by many during the early 1980s to be true. So they did all this work, and no one fucking cared. There are still people who believe that Smith's claims of abuse are true and are evidence of a worldwide intergenerational satanic conspiracy to abuse and sacrifice human beings. As a result of his book, Pazder was considered to be an expert in the topic of satanic ritual abuse. With a sudden emergence of satanic ritual abuse cases during the 80s, likely due in part to this book, Pazder's expertise was requested. He also appeared on the first major news report concerning Satanism by ABC's television series 2020 in 1985. Pazder was part of the Cult Crime Impact Network and, lecture, and lectured to police agencies about satanic ritual abuse during the late 80s. Jesus. It's insane. He didn't know anything about him. Uh, it was literally... It's not even real. Him and his wife just telling stories in his office. It's And now he's insane. lecturing police on how to handle yeah. SRA. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, by 1987, Pazder reported that he was spending a third of his time consulting on satanic ritual abuse cases. With people suddenly being prosecuted for satanic ritual abuse, prosecutors used the book as a guide when preparing cases against alleged Satanists. So that's what Michelle remembers. This book is a catalyst of what was coming in the United States. The paranoia had reached McCarthyism levels in the country, and the so-called moral majority needed something to point a finger at. The outrageous beliefs led to a case of mass hysteria the likes of which we haven't seen since the communist scare of the 40s and 50s. So, honestly, that's not yeah, really that long. Not that long. Not that long. <laughs> uh, the results would be devastating, leading to the unraveling of the lives of daycare employees across the country. And that's where we're going to pick up with part two when we look at the absolutely terrible, completely unfounded cases that sprung up against daycare workers across the country. And that's the show. And so that's the buildup, and that's how we got to where, honestly, where we are today. Yeah, it's man. terrifying. Freaking and this is where it started. 
freaking pizza cake. That's all I got to say. It is. And it's to me, it's another case of the other. It's no different than the QAnon conspiracy. And they're very heavily involved in literally this exact type of stuff. And now they've infiltrated Save the Children and they've invalidated that organization. Exactly. In in many ways because of that. And it's really shitty that that happened. But uh, these types of moral panics happen all the time. I'd imagine especially more when a toxic, shitty version of a religion is present. Ding, ding, ding. Christian extremists. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) I mean... Honestly, I just don't like religion to begin with. But there are good parts. And honestly, I could almost separate the teachings of Jesus from modern-day Christianity because they're oh, not the same thing anymore. Absolutely. They're absolutely not the same thing anymore. And I just I, Christianity is so toxic in this country to me now. And this is part of the reason why. And I, it was decades in the making, and people seem to forget that, that there's a reason that things are this way. And well, it's, it's just, yeah, it's it's just hatred. It is. It's, it's, you're right. It's us versus them. It's tribalism. It's, it is. I don't understand this, so now that means it's bad. Yeah, it's it's really crazy. And, you know, I think we should either learn to be good without God or just go back to ape world and maul each other with bones. Either is preferable to what we have right now. I really believe that. <laughs> yeah, shit's funky. Unfortunately, this type of shit is just its completely unavoidable at this point. But Excuse me, unavoidable. When anyone can put anything on the internet. And my best advice for all of you out there is to keep your fucking head down from these people. Check your sources and for God's sake, get a self-defense weapon for when they end up at your pizza shop demanding to see your basement full of children. <laughs> Dude, that's so scary, though. It is. It's, it's literally happening. And I'm not going to use spe- specific... Um, like names or or anything but like we are aware of a right-wing militia that gathered in a certain place and they were using language like um when the enemy comes or when you're confronted with the enemy but there's no real definition of what enemy no. is so then it then it's Some just umbrella term for them to feel justified exactly and how terrifying is that because what what how do i know whether or not i've become your enemy you it's could just insane. decide that i am at any point well, in time and there's a, another article that emily found that is a very t- scary case of that exact thing happening we will either have to do a minisode or another additional episode tangent to this about a small town and i think it was saskatchewan where mm-hmm. uh, i yeah. mean people were turning on each other left and right including uh, people were turning on uh, various police officers and so it's not just uh, it's not the type of person that you might expect to be accused of something like this is becoming accused. Oh, absolutely and not. No, th- dude. Oh, man. Oh, this goes so deep. There was literally an SRA, a satanic ritual view story that came out, what, within the last five years? It was over in the UK. I showed it to you, remember? Because I went oh, down that Oh, yeah. Whole you're totally right. I don't remember hole. much about it, but we should look into that yeah, too. Yeah, man. Because that'll be, we could add those on to the next episode or we could create Ooh. additional episodes because this is a highly, I mean, it's an interesting topic. It's very scary to me that it happened. And uh, I, <laughs> we're on the darkest timeline, baby. Yeah, mob buy the ticket, Take the ride, man. But really, <laughs> There's so much more to this story, and we highly encourage you to check it out for yourself to fully just grasp just how full of bullshit every single person involved in this was. There's literally nothing stopping you today from making up a story and becoming an expert demonologist overnight. It's insane what these people were believing. Oh, I guess God. I should say Next back career then, move. but yeah, exactly. And it's not hard. I mean, I guess you could still do it today. I mean, totally still fucking, do it today. It seems like everyone's still believing anything hey, they get told. So. Hey, long road homies, do you guys want to form a fake cult and then... And then make a lot of money profiting off of those made-up stories? Allegedly. We have to say allegedly, so when we do it, it's For allegedly. legal reasons, this is all a joke. Yes, exactly. Legal reasons. Also, join the Discord and we'll talk about it. 
Yeah, join the Discord, guys. It's totally free. There's a link on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at the underscore LRH underscore pod. You can also find us on Facebook at the LRH pod. And you can reach out to us via email at the LRH show at gmail.com. That was a smooth transition. Did you all feel that? We just slid right into. It's creamy. (laughs) Right into the, the. the conclusion finale the conclusion of this episode yeah you can also find us on patreon at patreon.com slash the lrh podcast hop on in join us join one of our mini tiers we got lots of cool stuff coming up for our patrons and uh like that i don't know i didn't mention this at the beginning we do have some stickers on the way that once we get them we'll send out to our patrons because you guys have waited long enough yeah you guys we're yeah some stuff your way yeah a lot of stuff coming up i'm working on a new logo as soon as i can find the time or it's going to it's going to be a while, but I'm super excited that work will begin very soon for that yeah, as well. Yeah, we got so some good energy flowing. Glow up, coming soon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think that's it, everybody. We'll be back next week for part two of Satanic Panic. We hope you've enjoyed it, and uh, we hope you check it out on your own because it is a super interesting topic. Yeah, you could literally read about this for hours and hours and hours, probably as long as it took for Michelle to come up with the story. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, as always, thanks for joining, joining us on, on The Long, long road, road Home. home. We'll see you next Bye. week, everybody. See ya. Bye.